Welcome to the Mission Daily. I'm Chad Grills, joined by Ian Faison. And this is a uh, another two-part episode, part two actually, of how to find the future and then join it. So we're kind of going to talk about joining the future economy. But this whole episode, some of the things we're going to talk about is what industries are poised to explode. Yeah. Categories of skills, how you get into those industries. So what these industries need. And we're going to talk about how to get there. It's not necessarily about, I don't mean joining in a dumb culty sense at all. I mean, joining or allying or get in where you fit in. Exactly. Or just, you know, seeing what type of ancillary industries that the main industries might cause to grow. So for instance, if, um, you know, Tesla is ramping up production on the Model 3, it's inevitable that the demand for rare earth minerals for their batteries are then going to explode. So even if you're a local baker and you see a trend in you know more and more people are eating gluten-free i think i've used that example like twice now what's what's the baking why do i keep using the baking example did when did you use it i i think i used it before was that on another podcast it was like an angel investing example podcast is it who are you podcasting (laughs) with okay so yeah tell me who is it (laughs) you get the idea there um so the the industries that are poised to explode we hear about these a lot so whether it's like 3d printing robotics drones technology uh, robotics, same day delivery for basically everything, and then the distribution and underlying systems that are powering that. Uh, learning materials, education reform is something that, I mean, education is a $4.4 trillion global industry that's being rapidly, I hate the term uh, disrupted, but yeah. it's, uh, it's being changed for sure. And materials science is really exciting right now. Um, there's some exciting things that just happened in terms of you can now experiment with with uh, different types of medical treatments, actually. The point is, these are really exciting. They're happening right now. Dude, you didn't mention crypto? Crypto, the blockchain. Um, generally, the, the evolution of everything is happening right now. Uh, there are plans to take all of our current um, heavy-duty industries and take them off-world. So start asteroid mining off-world and kind of turn the Earth into a nature preserve where we don't have to pollute as much um, and then expand into the solar system where some of the uh, most exciting innovators and CEOs right now are figuring out, you know, how do we have trillions of humans living, working, playing in the solar system? So why is that so exciting? So why does this stuff matter, right? It's because there is no blueprint in any of these industries. There's no like well, roadmap to get into crypto. It's being written right now. Yeah, and, and you can be part of that process, that authorship process. And I think for a lot of people, they're looking for the roadmap in life. And yeah. for all of these, there literally is no roadmap. And if you go back to early internet days or any anything, early coal mining or oil or any of the- um, Gold panning, gold right pan- up the road. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, have you Have you been up there yet? Well, yeah, so we have a small claim, but it's just for rare earth minerals. Do you know that Eureka means I have found it? Yes. Well, in well, fourth grade, so we when learned that, that in California. When Eureka was founded, I have to believe that that was like basically a marketing name where the marketing was baked into the name of the town. That's there was, probably true. There was a lot of that going on at the time where it's like, you know, new towns and the shovel type industries of selling things to the prospectors in the shovel industry yeah haven't you heard that like i've the, never heard that the people that sell the picks and the shovels make all the money type oh yeah, 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 yeah that type of philosophy yeah nah, the, the, or the, uh business cliche whatever that is yeah the uh richest guy from the gold rush was levi strauss oh there you go 
But Chris, anyway, but so th yeah. this is actually a great segue because if you were to say, oh, you know, the, there's a huge gold rush and, you know, the 49ers and, you know, big, big nuggets they're finding north to Alaska, right? <laughs> you would never have guessed that the person who made all the money invented jeans. Yeah. So. And he didn't know that going in either. But no, he exactly. Sh he showed up and discovered that everybody in that industry had a lot of money and needed a way, not all of them, but they generally were willing to spend and they were spending to realize an investment or, you know, discovery, but they were willing to spend. And that's a great, great thing because so often people get very, it's very easy for any humans to fall into the trap of being miserly. And that's, you know, Scrooge is the most famous example. But um, when we become more free and willing to, to spend and invest in other people, that's where it gets really exciting because the speed at which capital circulates through an ecosystem is, um, you get, there's some really interesting papers written on the velocity of money. And it's a very important variable that, um, I mean, that's another example where that idea that the velocity of money is actually more important than say uh, globalization is just now being discussed. And it's really exciting because the prospect of uh, that is basically like smaller towns that have very, very robust local economies where there's more opportunities for artisans and things like that. It's not a protect protectionist type uh, philosophy or anything like that. Uh, but it is kind of an empowering philosophy to bring back a, a vibrant culture and community. So that's probably why the really term prospector <laughs> involves prospects. It's funny aside. Yes. Did you know that during the gold rush? So before the gold rush in actually, and this is really a euphemism, euphemism for all of the things that we're talking about today. San Francisco, I have a map of San Francisco in 1846 in my house. And there's 29 homes. All of the homes in San Francisco are named. Oakland did not exist. Nothing. And then you flash forward a decade later, there were so many boats in the bay, in the harbor, in the bay, that you could walk from San Francisco to Oakland across the boats. That's wild. So this is something that when there's a brand new, there's a brand new thing, you can either be one of the people who shows up or who you know, finds the gold about it later or, or you can jump in. Yeah. Or you can go get it. That's really cool. So we talked about the broader, higher level industries. So you can study history. You can study, uh, you can read online about these kind of like trends and emerging industries, things like that, that are going to be increasingly important in the future. Another more tactical. When you say study history, you don't mean get a degree in history. You mean <laughs> just read about history and trends. Uh, become, yeah, no, become a historian. So you can teach people that, uh, as Taleb says, lecture the birds on how to fly. <laughs> um, so we talked about higher level stuff. Now let's Shout talk out to about, historians, though. You're doing great work. Yeah, you all are doing fantastic, for sure. Um, so where is a place? This, this is really fun because here's where the rubber hits the road. Now we need to find the specific companies in those industries that are most promising. And what's a way where you can allow some really talented people to figure out that for you? And what's a way that you can get really talented people to do the work for you? Is it possible to get the best people in the world to do all the due diligence required to show what the best and most promising company in the future is going to be? And the answer is yes. Those people are called venture capitalists. And they're the reason why we have Silicon Valley today. And they've, they're the reason why we have basically all the new jobs, the 40 million net new jobs that Steve Case was referring to. He's got another quote that shows that's basically like 20 to 30% of the US global economy is has been directly created by 
venture-backed technology companies. So these are companies that are backed by VCs and they've driven almost all of our new job creation and all the new technologies that we enjoy. So where do you find the future? You go to their portfolio page that is on each of their websites and study the companies there. You can cross-reference those companies with Crunchbase or another service to see how much money they've raised, or you can reach out directly and you can look at their jobs page to see how many jobs they have listed. These are all great ways to start getting a glimpse of the most promising um, ships that are setting sail on these frontiers. Yeah. And this is, gosh, way to bring that analogy in. Uh, <laughs> this is not to say that raising money or raising venture capital or any of these things is a predictor to making a great company. It's just a guidepost that points yeah. out West. There's exactly. A, a challenge, oh challenge along the way to get there though. Just because you buy the land doesn't mean you're going to find gold nuggets. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. Well said. Um, so We're really going to dig this analogy <laughs> into the crowd. <laughs> but especially with these VCs, the, uh, picking the best of the best to use as your filtering mechanism. So this is one of the ways. That's a great that, point. There's a great quote about the, uh, you know, dumb people use the internet to get dumber and smart people use the internet to get smarter. It's a brutal quote, but this is a way that you can use the internet to get smarter. And for a while I was um, oblivious to this stuff. And this is speaking from someone who didn't even know that venture capital was the reason why we got all these industries. And on top of it, I didn't even know that our government basically started venture capital. So the yep. defense industry for all of the uh, the faults of the military industrial complex, they're actually the reason why we're enjoying all of these technologies today. So they bankrolled a number of different things from the research project that Larry and Sergey at Google started that eventually they spun out into a company uh, that was funded by, I believe, DARPA or InQtel, one of the two. And uh, the same examples are all over the place if we go further back. So, How many colleges do you think teach sales as a major? That's a great question. Are we counting? So there are sales colleges now? Are we counting? Like uh, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, no, I'm not counting. I'm just saying accredited like institutions? accredited institutions across the U.S. that make up our colleges and universities. Seven. I think it's like 19. Wow. That's still so low. It's crazy. So Sean Shepard from GrowthX talks about this all the time. That is freaking crazy. Shout out the, to Sean for yeah being an awesome listener, sharing yeah, the show. Yeah. Appreciate th- it. Thanks, Sean. You're the best. He's going to be on the podcast someday. Awesome. Um, so that's remarkable considering sales is like the biggest profession and all that stuff. And that's that's kind of baked into the books because like some people, like a cashier is a salesperson and this stuff. Sure. Anyways, the idea that a profession that popular does not did not have academies that teach this sort of stuff is mind blowing, right? It's mind blowing, especially too when people think of sales as something that's sleazy. It's actually a high art form of finding the future and then articulating to others why that future is going to be valuable to them. At the end of the day, like that's what sales is. It's a very benevolent practice if it's practiced like with that intention, with a great product, with you know all of the diligence that we're talking about here. But at the end of the day, what an art form! Uh, I mean, it's it, people to do new things. But those, so basically we're saying that the the biggest credential in America is to get a college degree and only 19 or whatever it is, schools actually teach one of the most valuable skills, right? Right. So what do you do as someone who, you know, folks out there, whether you have a degree or not, it's, it, it's, it's irrelevant for this conversation. How do you find the skills that can help you get into one of these hyper growth companies that's building the future? Yeah. And so we know a little bit more. So pick the best VCs in the world. If you don't know how to analyze who is the best, 
Uh, you can do it on a returns basis. So you can Google, there's a Wall Street Journal article about um, just Google like Wall Street Journal and VC returns or something like that. Or you can pick out your favorite companies and start to do some research about who funded them and why. And at what stage of the company did the VC make a bet on them? And you can create your own basically like uh, way to judge all these like emerging things. So after we have that, then you can take another step in and look at their jobs page to see what type of, th- what ways do they need help? And again, you don't have to apply for a job there. This is just a way to measure what is most in demand. You can start a business to you know fulfill some of those jobs postings because oftentimes job postings are just a cry for help. <laughs> they're yeah, they're so literally this, the company saying, please help, please help. Th- and how you help it might not be as an employee, it might be as a contractor. Maybe you start a small business to service this recurring problem that you see all of these portfolio companies having, something like that. So this is not Chad being reductive this is actually really smart. I mean, it's our podcast. So <laughs> of course we're going to say that. But um, but it really is. Thanks, man. Every single person in talent acquisition that I've ever talked to when I worked in talent acquisition and everyone I've read ever has always said, just look at the job listings. Yeah. And the ones that we have the most are the hardest to fill. This is like really not rocket science. People need to be going to those. And every single CEO in America's number one problem is they is they know that they will not have enough talented people for those positions. I would I want to say this is definitely Pareto principle, but like 80% of companies marketing budgets mm-hmm. go towards getting engineers because engineers yes, are yes. so hard to hire. And so and then conversely, salespeople get paid the most money and they're all, every company is always looking for a great salesperson. They definitely always are. no matter what. And in California it's kind of tricky because um, there's no non-compete clauses. Actually, this is a good tidbit for everyone. There's no non-compete clauses in California. So let's say you're in another country, or another state. Let's say you're in Pennsylvania or Illinois or whatever it is. I'm pretty sure both of those states have compete cl- non-competes. So you cannot join a competitor or they can put language in your contract that can do that, right? California can't do that. So you can jump from Google to Facebook. You can jump wherever. There's things that there's other things like that. This is a bit once over the world. And Ian's not talking about taking intellectual property with you from wire trade secrets or everything like that. Those are still protected here. But what he's referencing is why California has been able to be so prosperous and kind of lead in many ways in this economic boom. I'm not talking. Yeah, I know our state's in in debt and everything like that. Well, that's That's we'll we'll solve that. And yeah, California, if it were to secede, it would be the ninth largest economy in the world. Yeah, that's and again, we're not like that. We know we have listeners all over the world, but this is just to give a slice of what is going on in and around Silicon Valley and not it's not the perfect place or anything like that. But it's the idea that there are companies here and and all over the world. I mean, some of the companies that are leading innovation, like Spotify's, um, you know, based in Europe, all there's all sorts of companies. But it's more the idea that what Chad is talking about here is looking at the open roles at those companies. And when you see like a list of these jobs that there's five unfilled requisitions, that's a pretty good place to start. And then from there, go look at what are, whether it's boot camps or other training things that train in that skill set. Yeah, to fill the, basically just fill the gap. Because the next question is like, if you see an exciting start point, all you have to do is just fill the gap and become qualified. And you can reach out directly and say like, how can I get in here? Like, so, what is the exact boot camp? What is the exact place? Because a lot of these companies, they don't advertise this, but they actually have a very specific set of feeder programs that they either work with or that they use. Um, and they oftentimes keep this 
secret for a lot of different reasons. And they use these different boot camps and stuff uh, and these secret hiring pipelines essentially to fuel the company's growth. I know, for instance, one of the most valuable recent VC-backed companies to come out of Silicon Valley. Uh, I can't name it by name because this is uh, an advantage that they've developed that has allowed them to become a, uh, a very, very valuable company. Let's just put it at that. Um, but they basically have this one, uh, I don't want to give it away. They have this one state school that has a computer science program that's doing some very different things, let's just say. And they have used that over the course of the last seven years of this company's life cycle to basically just create a pipeline of engineers where it's something like probably like 70% or 80% of all of the CS engineers that come out of this one school's program that is not an Ivy League school. It is not type, top tier by any stretch of the imagination, but they get all of their applicants there um, just because they work out a good partnership. They speak each other's language and that's what has propelled that company to such yeah enormous growth. So one of my friends is... And that, sorry, just real quick, yeah. but that's an example of the secrets and the frontier that are, that's, you know, crazy opportunities are out there if you want to get involved at that university or in, at that CS program or at that company. Um, but that's something that not everything is going to be publicly available. I'm sorry, your friend. No. So I totally lied. He's not my friend. I met a guy <laughs> <laughs> who was taking the Udacity self-driving course. Udacity is not a sponsor or anything. Um, disclosure. Uh <laughs> But he was taking the Udacity self-driving car and he was like, it was freaking brutal. He's like, yeah. it is, it's like having a job. It's, oh, it's like 80 hours a week type stuff. Super, super, super hard. And it's like, yeah, it's the future. Of course, it's really hard. Completely. But those are the sort of things these, like these nano degrees that Udacity is doing or Udemy or these other people. That stuff is, you know, you're in the right place when and you're working like, on stuff like that. I think the Udacity uh, nano degree is like $300 a month or something like not. It's something so, so small where it's like it's I know that might be a lot of money to some people I completely agree that it's um, it can be daunting at first. But well, comparatively uh, to the opportunity in the industry and the fact that you know, self-driving engineers are are worth four million, five billion dollars each to a company. Um, just incredible. Like in the uh, yeah, the, the earning potential of that. It's like, yeah, $2,000 is a ton of money for a lot of people. Um, it's also one one hundredth yeah. of how much uh, a degree from an Ivy League school is. Completely. And it seems like a lot of money until one you get 100. a 10 or 100x return from that investment. So the four types of skills or, or ways to think about these different types of jobs that we went over earlier, the BEDS acronym with business developers, engineers, designers, and scientists. So with business, you've got you know, sales, growth, strategy, analysis, marketing, social media, Content, full stack marketing, general leadership, storytellers, you get the idea. So there are these ways to break down these categories. With engineers, you have mechanical engineers, machinists, tradesmen, developers, front end, back end, full stack developers, um, and then all the people in the DIY makers movement. Um, I won't go through all these, but these are the specific roles of these companies that you can um, specifically pinpoint, and then you can go about finding the right bootcamp, uh, the right books, uh, and you can piecemeal this stuff together. So you can reach out to people that are currently working in that role that you want. Uh, maybe the recruiters go silent on you. You can't get anywhere with them, but you can reach out directly to the people there and ask them, do they like their job? how they get it? What tip the scale for them? Uh, a great example is, um, so Steph, when she joined Google, the thing that tipped the scale uh, for her and you know allowed her to unlock that opportunity was the fact that they didn't ask her, of course, oh, this is a great example talking about what we talked about earlier. They didn't ask her about her GPA, her grades, uh, where she went to school, 
anything like that, basically. The things that they zeroed in on instantly were some of the side projects, specifically like the traction of the side projects that we worked on. So the fact that we'd done two mobile apps together that both got featured by Apple, that was really appealing. The fact that um, you know, she had helped build the mission, like that was, they, they love, love, love those things. And it's, it seems very counterintuitive, but these type of side projects are so appealing for employers. And I would, I would argue that it shows your intelligence in the way that we view it at the mission, which is grit plus skills plus imagination. Like that's why it's interesting to them because they're like, oh, it must have been really hard to build the app, which is like grit. It also must have taken some imagination to figure out what you're going to put in this thing. It and you had to have some skills like to figure out how to make it, to figure out how to get it places to like. So you you start peeling back the onion there and you're like, oh, man, it's yeah, powerful mindset. And I think this brings us to kind of like a final word and concept for finding the future, how to get into it, everything like that. But, but before we get into that, I yeah. just want to say one thing. We're going to list all of these when we're going to publish an article in the mission that's going to have a list of all of the different types of careers that these four categories, the business developers, engineers, yeah, so designers, and scientists. Oh. So it'll be in, we'll put it in the uh, the newsletter. Yeah. So if you just subscribe to the newsletter, themission.co and enter your email address, we'll be sending it in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, and we actually have uh, a, a list of some of like the best VCs and best companies um, and best boot camps, I believe, also from the source material that we're using right now uh, that we'll be publishing as well. So that's really exciting because we've already done a lot of this work for you. Uh, just one more thing we do to try to make this. As probably should as have possible. said that at the top. <laughs> no, anyway, that's my bad. I, yeah, I completely blanked that we uh, had all that stuff ready. All right, bring us um, home. A doxastic commitment is something. <laughs> Where do you get these words? <laughs> so that's it's by the fil- way, Chad does this at work, like at the <laughs> mission with our team, and saying these sort of things, and everyone's just yeah. Anyways, doxastic. It's uh, yeah, it's, and not to be a, a um, obnoxious and generally, no, it's, it's, it's illuminating. Great to speak in as simple or you know terms as possible, but sometimes you got to like push the pedal of the metal of etymological expansion and uh, get the <laughs> get the vocabulary just going. Um, because I mean, some so many I like of talking these, in miners' terms, <laughs> but so many of these terms are really cool because they unlock new ways of thinking. Because before you have that word to talk about a concept, you can't reference it without doing like. A paragraph of conversation or whatever. So a doxastic commitment is a type of commitment or belief that takes you beyond words and into action. So it's a class of beliefs that is they it's it's basically like what happens when you have a belief that becomes so strong that you can't help but take action. And we alluded to this earlier when we we're talking about the new type of intelligence test. And how when you start doing each of those three components of it, they feed off of each other. Uh, It's like a flywheel that starts spinning faster and faster and faster to the point where you can't help but take action. And that's um, just, yeah, an important way to think about beliefs. And so you have beliefs that range on a scale between, uh, you know, basically beliefs that don't cause you to take any action to beliefs that cause you to get up out of the couch and and do something. So an example would be, um, you know, joining the military is basically like a commitment. It was a doxastic commitment based on the belief that uh, America is very unique and actually a a tremendous force for good in the world. Of course, like we have our faults and everything, but generally America is worth saving, redeeming and continuing very, very far out in the future. 
And so that's what led me to join the military. It's one of the many things that led me to join the military at, at first. Um, it's one of the things that led me to start the mission or, uh, you know, quit and leave things that were not well suited to, to me, things like that. So Got it. Okay. So yeah. if you, so it's something that basically it's making a commitment where you would have to take action on said thing. Yep. And it's generally getting, um, it's reinforcing and basically selling yourself on a belief to the point where you take action. You know how you talk about sometimes uh, an important truth you believe that yeah, others yeah. agree with you on is that entrepreneurship is not necessarily a bad thing. I com- I completely, um, at first it offended me and I shouted at <laughs> you. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But uh, there, I mean, there's a lot of truth in that. And that's you know something that at a certain point, it's, it's already led you to take certain specific actions when you're recruiting or when you're you know selling and things like that. Um, but yeah, so generally anything that's pulling you to action, that's where your beliefs turn into doxastic beliefs. So you're going to have to sell yourself on the fact that the future is exciting and promising. Uh, and once you do enough due diligence and once you get to that place where your belief becomes a doxastic commitment, um, yeah, you're going to find yourself taking action. What I like about the word is that it's so easy to say. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely, definitely not easy to say. Oh, best example of a doxastic commitment in the room right now. So we we had a couple of them. Mm. Take it to the max. Take it to the max. Max, you moved out here from Michigan, right? Yep. What's uh, any any big reason uh, you came out here? Uh, the main big reason is to come out here and work with you guys. Awesome. <laughs> See? So, yeah, thanks so much. But that's, but that's a great example too, where it's like, it was, uh, you know, we're still in the early days here and you have to have a lot of belief in some, in something in order to make a, a big jump like that, which is, yeah, moving across. And the a belief in yourself, which yes. is what, we, yeah. what we're talking about. Yeah, because ultimately that trust in yourself and you can look outside all you want and you can, um, you know, look for confirmation there. But ultimately it's the self-knowledge, it's the self-work that unlocks those opportunities so that when you do get to the frontier, you're not going to get an arrow in the back. You're going to find the gold or become Leo Strauss. And with that, we'll see you next time. It's Levi. Hey listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.